I think about two individuals that perhaps in ways might have been similar in the sense that both apparently had the opportunity to live a good life that would be a blessing to God and a blessing to others, but yet their lives were so different. When I mention the name Samson to you, if you know Samson very well, you probably immediately picture a guy that nobody liked. I don't know if you've ever noticed that going through the story. It doesn't even appear that his mom and dad liked him very much the way he acted. And, and, and he had friends that, that he would provoke with riddles. And, and whenever he'd lose the riddle, he'd be so mad, he'd go out and kill 30 men just to pay uh, his wager that he had made with them. As a matter of fact, he got so bad for Samson that his own people didn't like him. They tied him up to present him to the enemy. And of course, the enemy didn't like him. They wanted to kill him. You talk about literally a man that nobody liked, and yet probably there hasn't been a man born on this earth that had more potential to do what God designed for him to do than Samson. You see, it's our choices that determine to a great degree, first and foremost, whether or not we're pleasing in the sight of God, but also what others think of us. And then I think about when we read at the end of Acts, the fourth chapter, we're introduced to a man named Joseph, but yet we don't call him that very much because he was so kind and so generous and so considerate that just as soon as we're introduced to one name, we're also introduced to the fact that the apostles gave him another name that meant son of encouragement. Barnabas. And every time we read throughout the book of Acts about great movements, it seems like that Barnabas had some kind of influence on it, some kind of hand in it. When you think about Saul being associated with the church, it was Barnabas that was the one that brought him and the church of Jerusalem together. And when you think about the great work that was done at Antioch, remember that was the church that sent out all the people. Do you remember who was sent up there to help that church when she was young and struggling? It was Barnabas. And even the great missionary that we call the Apostle Paul. Do you remember who it was that helped him at his work at Antioch? And then even went on the first missionary journey with him? None other than Barnabas. Listen, you can't read in the scriptures except be impressed with a man like Barnabas. And you say, wow, I bet that was a man that people just loved. You're probably right. Why is it that both were equipped to do God's will and Samson was a man that people couldn't stand? And Barnabas was a man that people loved. There are a lot of things that the scriptures tell us. The book of Proverbs, of course, is wisdom. Gives us a lot of wisdom of how we can live our life on this earth to be a blessing to others. I really don't know how many will get through of these. And some of these intentionally, we'll just almost mention them and and kind of rush on to see how many. But tonight I have 40 passages that we can study from the book of Proverbs that would answer the question, why is it that people don't like me? I want to encourage you as we go through this list, if there surely would be three or four or five that would especially speak to you where you are in your life, and I want to encourage you to make a note, and if at least make a note mentally, if not on paper, and I want to encourage you this week to be praying about at least three or four of the things that we study tonight to say, I want to improve in that area. Listen, God didn't give us all this writing of truth so that we go in one ear and out the other and not make a difference in our life. And so here are 40 Proverbs. There is an exception. It's really 38 Proverbs. One is out of Philippians and one is a beatitude out of the book of Matthew. But here we go with 40 lessons we can learn from God. Reasons people might not like you. Number one, if you're a loner. Proverbs, the 18th chapter and verse one. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. 
You and I decide if we are going to intermingle our lives in the lives of others or if we're going to live as a hermit in isolation. Let's face it, the temptation to live in isolation is because if I don't have any relationship with you, you can't expect anything of me. And the truth is, most of the time when people live in isolation, it's because of selfishness. I get to do everything that I want to do and I don't have to do anything for anybody else. People don't tend to like loners because they're selfish. Number two, are you a bad listener? Proverbs, the 18th chapter and verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. When someone is saying something, is your thought immediately, I already know what I'm going to say. Even before they finish what they're saying. And how often do you interrupt them and say what you're going to say even before they finish saying it? Listen, you want to infuriate a teenager? Don't listen to them. You want to infuriate somebody that's 55 years old? Don't listen to them. You want to infuriate somebody that's 95 years old? Don't listen to them. Great listeners are also people that are greatly loved. If you can't learn to not only close your lips, but at the same time you close your lips, you're listening to understand what the other person is saying. If we can't do that, we're going to have a lot of people that don't like talking to us. You know those people that the whole time you're saying something, they're going, they're just waiting for you to take a breath and they're going to interrupt. You don't like talking to those people, do you? Proverbs knew that long before you knew that. Proverbs, the 12th chapter, verse 23. Number three, are you quick to give an opinion? Proverbs 12 and 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. Now, of course, a prudent man is a wise man. He carefully thinks about what he should and should not be. And notice, he conceals knowledge. And so... If someone asks an opinion and the room has five people in it or 25 people in it, are you one of the ones that just immediately, oh, oh, let let me tell you what I think about that. Proverbs says, you're not being prudent. Nobody wants to be around somebody that has an opinion that they must share about everything. Let's face it. Everybody here pretty much has an opinion about everything. The difference in the wise man and the foolish man is that the wise man knows that he shouldn't share that opinion very often. And the foolish man thinks, I've got to open my mouth about everything. And then to really show their foolishness, if you'll notice, they usually loop around and start repeating themselves. And and that really can drive you crazy. All right. Number four, are you argumentative? That would be another reason that people might not like you. We'll go to the Beatitudes on this one. Matthew, the fifth chapter and verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Listen, we can either have a nature that we like to stir up quarrelsome acts and and, and environments, or we can create a nature that says, I like to be one that, that helps build that environment of peace. People like being around people that make peace. Let's face it. It's not easy to be a peacemaker because a lot of that times that means we give of ourselves. That means a lot of the time we don't do things the way we want it to be done. We do things the way that we know that would contribute to the greater peace of the environment that could be established if we would do that. We tend to like to be around peacemakers. We tend to not like to be around people that are argumentative. Number five, are you forgiving? Proverbs 20 and verse three, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool 
can start a quarrel. Isn't that beautiful? Which one's easy to do? Anybody can start an argument. All right, here's the question. Who can stop it? It takes someone of great character and faith to be able to say, I'm not continuing in this. I want to ask your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I shouldn't have done that. I I want this strife that we are experiencing right now to end. Any fool can start an argument, but it takes a mighty strong person to say, I want forgiveness. When's the last time you've asked for forgiveness? If you're having a hard time remembering, there's probably some people that don't like you because you're not that perfect. Probably every one of us should have asked for forgiveness sometime in the last week, but surely in the last few weeks. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not in the habit of being open in your evaluation of yourself and then carrying out on that to say, hey, I was wrong about that and I want forgiveness, it really would help us to be holy, which also would help us build stronger relationships. Number six, do you cut people down? Proverbs 12 and 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Not many of us have probably used our sword lately. I mean, a physical sword, a real sword, right? Probably many of us have used knives lately. So let's just imagine this. You're slicing some fruit in the kitchen and, and whatever, for whatever reason, you're not careful with what you're doing and you rake the knife right across your finger. What's your experience at that moment? It's your experience that almost gives me cold chills just to think about saying this. You know, it's that experience of immediately stop what I'm doing. That hurts so bad. I just pierced my finger with that knife. Now, now what is he, what is he saying here? We have, with our words, the capability of doing that. But yet, think on the other hand, someone that goes through some kind of medical procedure, and they were in great pain, but after that procedure, they have healing. And they'll talk about, oh, now I feel so much better than what I felt like then. Now the question is, your words, which one are they like? Are your words like raking a kitchen knife over your finger to somebody else? Or are your words such that whenever you leave them, that person says, I always feel stronger after I talk with them. I always feel more encouraged after I talk with them. Are our words piercing to people or are our words helping heal people? The seventh one, do you explode when mad? Proverbs 18 and 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and a contentious and, con- and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Keep in mind, we can forgive individuals. Someone goes out and they harm us. They cut us deeply with pain. And then later on, they can even come back and say, I'm sorry, I regret that, will you forgive me? And you can forgive them. But you know what you might not be able to immediately do? You won't be able to forget it. And depending on what it was, you may not be able to immediately trust them again. That's right. It's possible to forgive and not immediately trust. Because the only way trust can be established is it has to be grown. It has to be built. You can't, I can hand you a piece of paper. I can't hand you trust. Trust has to develop. It has to grow. So what is the proverb? What is, what is Solomon trying to teach us here? He's saying, listen, 
Before you just go out and lose your temper on somebody and just think, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just come back tomorrow and I'll say I'm sorry. He says, you try to break into a castle where all the windows and all the doors have been barred up. And he says, that's what you're going to run into. A lot of the times it takes a long time to build back trust. If your idea is, that's just my human nature, I'm short-tempered, that doesn't cut it. There is no such thing as God allowing someone to be born without the ability to handle their anger. What that is, is not self-disciplined. You can discipline yourself to control your anger. People don't like people that explode on them. Number eight, are you too blunt? Proverbs 29 and 11, a fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. How does that mirror our culture today? You know, our culture today says, we just need to talk about everything. If you're feeling something, you need to express it. That's interesting. God says, you don't need to tell everybody what you're feeling. Why? Have you ever talked with somebody and as they're saying something, you may have one feeling and it may be very angry about what they're saying. And then later they walk off and after you've had time to process it, you may say to yourself, you know, I didn't like hearing that, but I realize now they're right. Okay, what if you would have just began venting your feelings at the moment you heard about it? What we find out all throughout the book of Proverbs is we find the wisdom in not airing out everything we have an opinion upon, everything we feel, and everything that we know. And we'll see that even with some of the other ones. And so I just want to encourage you, don't be too blunt. Again, that's another one that people just hide behind. They say, oh, that's just the way I am. I'm blunt. Well, that's why people don't like you. It's because you chose to air out everything that runs through your mind, even when it's negative about a situation or about other people. Uh, You have control over that. You get to make the decision of what you think and what comes out of your mouth. Uh, Number nine, do you drop the ball? Proverbs 10 and 26. This would cause people to not like you. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. You ever ask somebody to do something and you really needed it to be done? And they said, oh, sure, I'll do it. And then later you get word that the ball was dropped. They didn't do it. And when you find out why they didn't do it, it's just because they were lazy. You find out that they very regularly volunteer to do things and they regularly drop the ball on it. And then that person wonders, I don't know why people don't like me. Well, it's hard to like somebody that's irresponsible that tells you, yes, I'll help you out, and then they're not going to help you out. Well, what's it like? It's like drinking vinegar. You like to gargle vinegar? You like to swish it around your mouth? You want vinegar around your teeth? Or what about this? I tell you what, I love walking in the smoke with my eyes wide open. I just love it. That's just the best thing in the world. You see what the proverb writer is saying? You see what Solomon is saying? He says, listen, you make promises that you're going to carry out deeds for someone and you don't do it. It's like holding smoke in someone's eyes and saying, like that, don't you? No, they're not going to like you just like they're not going to like smoke in their eyes. Number 10, are you a selfish person? Proverbs 11 and 26, the people will curse him who withholds gains, but blessings will be on the head of him who sells it. Would you take and make more money if you can make more money 
even though you knew that the only way to drive the prices up is to not let some poor person that needs to eat today eat today. In other words, somebody needs the grain I have to eat today. If I hold them out a week, I'm probably charged twice the price for the grain next week. That's the principle that's here. It says you're going to be a much better person if you're unselfish instead of using your selfishness for personal gain. Number 11, do you make fun of people? This is some serious words right here. Proverbs 17 and 5. He who mocks the poor, notice this, you don't just mock the poor, reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And so when we see someone that's poor and, and, and we make fun of them, God says, it's just like you making fun of me. And when you see some, some calamity happen in the lives of an individual and you find some kind of joy in that, God says, I will not take that lightly. Now listen, it's not just God that wouldn't take that lightly. Individuals are not going to take that lightly and it would definitely be reason that people wouldn't like you. Number 12, are you two-faced? Proverbs 10 and 6. Blessings on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. You know, individuals that they'll cover their mouth when they're face to face. Oh, I'm not going to tell you the wicked things that I'm going to do. When you turn around, I'll stab you in the back. I don't think we have to explain why people don't like that. Number 13, can you not keep a secret? Proverbs 11 and 13, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. If we feel the need to tell things just because we know them, we're going to lose a lot of potential friendships. And where we make the mistake is when we say, oh, I guess I can tell this. They didn't say not to. Really? You really believe that? That just because somebody told, didn't say, don't tell anybody this, you have a right as a friend to tell whatever ought to be kept in secret. Again, what do we see over and over in Proverbs? The less you talk, the better off you are. Uh, we can, one mouth, two ears. Proverbs 14 and 14, we see number 14, are you inflexible and controlling? Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. How determined are you to keep control of everybody and everything in your life? Well, if you want that, you probably could keep a lot cleaner barn if you just don't have any livestock in it. But you're going to have to give up some control if you're going to put livestock in it. But the good thing is then you could be more productive. How can you as a person be more productive in relationships? The more relationships you share in, the less you're going to control them. The barn's going to get a little more dirty. The trough is going to get a little more dirty. You're going to have to lose control. And so for those of you by nature, you just feel like you've got to control everybody and everything. That may be a reason why some people don't like you. Number 15, are you an insensitive person? Proverbs 27 and 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it will be counted to him, to a curse to him. Now what's interesting about this one is we could take a poll in this room right now, and, and we could say, by nature you don't agree with this one, right? And you know who it would be? All of you early morning risers. You just don't believe that this is true unless you believe the Word of God. And, and then we could take a poll of all the people that like to sleep in. And we say, what really makes you angry in the mornings? And your answer would be, 
all the people that get up early and talk loud and wake me up and act like it's no big deal. When, when you have somebody like sleep in in the morning and the person that wakes them up in the morning is just all talking, about, hey, what'd you do last night? Did you have fun? What, what about that? And it doesn't take long, about probably 10 seconds of that happening, that you don't like that person. And, and so to be insensitive just because you're a little bit different in that area is no justification. Number 16, are you unsympathetic? Proverbs 25 and 20, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather, let that one sink in. How, how unsympathetic is that? Or like vinegar on soda is one who sings a song to a heavy heart. We need to realize that when someone is sad, the answer is not just make them laugh. And there really are people that believe that. But yet the problem with that is if you're really sad, that comes across as not being sympathetic. That comes across as saying, hey, you know how it's freezing cold out here? I'm going to take your jacket away from you. You say, well, that's not very nice. It's not very nice when someone is grieving to go tell jokes to them or to act like that they're not grieving, to pretend like there's no sadness. The comfort, the word comfort is literally the idea of come along beside If we want to help someone that's grieving, we come along beside them and we grieve with them in the time of their grieving. 1 Corinthians 12th chapter, weep with those who weep. Also, we see number 17, do you use other people? Proverbs 23 and 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. See, the idea here in in what he's presenting is there's a wealthy person, and so you want to use them. You want to sit at their table because, after all, you're going to get some free, delicious meals. He says, yeah, but what about when there's a knife to the throat? What about when he wants you to do something because he's giving you something? See, the whole idea is we just don't need to use people. If there's anybody in your life that you have a relationship with them because you want something from them, that's not true friendship. But we should go into relationships saying, I have something I want to give to this person. I want to give of myself. I want to be unselfish to this person. And that's genuine friendships. We see number 18, do you have uncontrolled anger? Very similar to the one we looked at before. Proverbs, the 19th chapter and verse 19, a man of great wrath, will suffer punishment. Let's just pause there for a moment. Somebody that's going to quickly lose their temper, they will be punished. We studied authority this morning. The law of the land will punish them. Principles will punish them. Bosses will punish them. As long as that person can't control their temper, they will be punished. Now, let's just put this into the scenario of this. What if you're a husband or a wife of somebody that can't control their temper? Or what if you're the parent of somebody that can't control their temper? Read the rest of this. The rest of this is for you. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. I want to give you some real good advice. Don't ever go down to the principal's office and take the side of your child. You'll just have to do it again. Bible teaches it. All right, number 19. Are you rude? Proverbs, the 18th chapter, verse 23. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. Have you ever noticed 
that in our just society, a lot of time when a poor person comes and says something to you, it oftentimes is flavored with more kindness than if a wealthy person says something to you? What situation or how much money do you have to have that you think God would look down and say, oh, that's fine. Now that you've reached that point in life, you be as rude as you want to be. At what point? If you're worth a million, does God say, yeah, you can be rude to everybody if you're worth a million? Or is it five million? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? So now we have to accept the fact that we'll never reach a place in life where God will say, it's acceptable for you to be rude to somebody. And we can make a lot more friends. Number 20. We'll start wrapping up with number 20. Do you have a critical spirit? The wise in heart will be called prudent. And sweetness of the lips increases learning or Some translations say sweetness of the lips increases persuasion. So when we see what the wise in heart does and the sweetness of our lips, that's, that's very different than what a foolish person would do that would be very critical with their lips. We want to be persuasive. Encouragement is a wonderful way to be persuasive. If there definitely is such a thing as constructive criticism, but even in that, Constructive criticism should not dominate our relationship with anyone. If we're finding ourselves constantly trying to criticize someone, we need to back up and say, you know, I probably ought to encourage about 10 to 1. Probably about every time I encourage something 10 times, maybe I then have a right to try to give some constructive criticism one time. But really, it might ought to be more like 30 to 1 or 50 to 1 or even a hundred to one. We need to be real careful with that. We may come back in the following weeks. I'll just read these off to you and we'll just pop through them real quick. We won't read the passages. 21, are you a mooch? Proverbs the 30th chapter and verse 15. Number 22, are you a liar? Proverbs the 19th chapter and verse 5. Number 23, are you sarcastic? Proverbs 14 and 9. Number 24, do you admit when you're wrong? Proverbs 14 and 8. Are you a pessimist? Proverbs 15 and 15. Are you inconsiderate? Philippians 2 and 4. Are you self-centered? Number 27, Proverbs 25 and 27. Are you overly sensitive? Proverbs 12 and 16. Are you codependent? Proverbs 25 and 16. Are you jealous? Proverbs 27 and 4. Do you run hot and cold? Proverbs 17 and 17. Are you cold? Proverbs 27 and 5, are you lazy? Proverbs 20 and 4, are you arrogant? Proverbs 16 and 18, do you raise your voice when answering people? Proverbs 15 and 1, do you slander others? Proverbs 25 and 23, do you make false promises? Proverbs 25 and 14, Do you have a problem with authority? Proverbs 30 and 17. Do you always think you're right? Proverbs 26 and 16. Are you pompous? Proverbs 12 and 9. And that's 40 reasons why people might not like us. 
When we think about the wonderful opportunity that we have to make decisions, live our life. Nobody else lives our life. Nobody else opens our mouth. Nobody else decides what we'll say. Nobody else decides what we do. One of the great blessings that God gives us is He gives us the opportunity to be who we decide we want to be. So the great news is if we are somebody that a lot of people don't like, we get to do something about that. We can make decisions to change. But most importantly is not the gauge to say, I'm going to live my life based solely upon what people think about me. That by no means is the standard to live our life. But what is the standard to live our life is, am I seeking to be holy as God is holy? All of these things that we've read tonight, we ought to seek to do them because it's God's will. And when we do God's will, there'll be some that will greatly appreciate that. And as we studied this morning, there'll be others that won't appreciate it and may persecute us for it. But nevertheless, we have found favor in the eyes of God. And that's the greatest favor that we ought to always seek. Tonight, if we can help you take steps closer to God, we'd love to encourage and we'd love to help you do that. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, you want to be restored, you're seeking prayers or any kind of encouragement, we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you. We'd like to walk together on our way to heaven. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.